Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We are in a three-week series called Hospitality is Mission. In this series, we want to look at what the Bible says about hospitality as a means to invite others to encounter Jesus. Thanks for joining us. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Brian. It's good to gather. Hey, if I could make a pitch to you, if you ever feel led to sit up front, um, the sound from you, the choir, as we sing together in the morning is magnificent. So I expect next week it'll be filled, but it is awesome. It's awesome. Hey, I grew up going to church and my favorite Sundays were the first Sunday of every month because it was the one Sunday each month we took communion. That's when we took communion. But before you think I was this holy little kid, it wasn't the taking of communion that I looked forward to. After each of the services, I would help my grandma and grandpa clean up communion. But before you think I was a servant-hearted little boy, it wasn't the cleaning up of communion that I looked forward to. You see, we would take the leftover communion downstairs to the basement of the church, the bread and the grape juice, we would carry it downstairs. And it was there that I got to drink all of the remaining grape juice that was in those little cups. I was down in a hundred cups a Sunday. And that's why the first Sunday of every month was my favorite Sunday to go to church. Now, growing up, I, I don't think I really understood why I was doing that or what communion was really about. And I'm not sure I fully understood the importance and richness of taking communion until I was an adult. And I'm just wondering, I'm just wondering if there's a whole bunch of us here today that don't have an understanding of why we practice communion, the history of this important practice that Jesus left us and how it can orient us to be on mission. We're in a three-week series called Hospitality is Mission, and we're learning that hospitality is one of the primary ways we can be on mission today, that we can step into the work that Jesus is asking us to step into. In the first week, Steve shared the importance of hospitality as woven throughout scripture, right? Jesus modeled hospitality. And then last week, Jeff did a terrific job of taking a deeper dive into one particular area of hospitality, the sharing of meals together. And there's this phrase that Jeff said last week. It's just been on my mind all week. He said, if the willingness is there, man, are we willing to practice hospitality toward others? Because God will use it if we are. And this week, we conclude this series by gaining a greater imagination of Jesus' hospitality toward us. Because when we realize the hospitality toward us, it motivates us to practice hospitality toward others. And to do that, we're going to look at the Last Supper. And I have to admit, when I was assigned this text and this topic, I was like, Last Supper? Hospitality? Really? And as I've studied this, I have fallen in love with this in a new way. And I've come to see, if you're following in your notes, that the Last Supper, at the Last Supper, Jesus offers himself as the ultimate gift of hospitality. And since our vision here is to see people of every generation giving themselves fully to the way of Jesus and his mission, what we're about to study orients us toward that goal. And now that we take communion together every week, 
I want us all to know the significance of what we're participating in when we do that. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Third book, if you don't own a Bible, the gospel of Luke chapter 22 can be found on page 855 of Bibles in the seat rack in front of you. Please take one of those out and use it. If you don't have a Bible, please take that home with you. And let me say this too, on your device or on hard copy Bible, it is perfectly legal to highlight things and underlight things and write in your Bibles. I think that's one way the Lord speaks to us and gets our attention, what stands out to us. So I just wanna encourage you to do that as we're walking through these verses today. So as we get started, I wanna offer this definition of hospitality so it can be the filter we use as we listen to this story, you've heard this in some different ways over the past three weeks, but at its core, if you're following along, biblical hospitality means making room for others. It means making room for others. And this is what we'll see in the last supper. And before we get to Luke, you can just hold your place there for a minute. We're going to get there, but we need to look at the origins of the last supper to understand the importance of the last supper. Each of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, tell us, if you're following along in your notes, that the Last Supper was a Passover celebration. It was a Passover celebration. Well, that's great. What does that mean? So Passover was first observed as God's people who had been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years were about to experience an exodus, an exit from Egypt. If you're not familiar with this story, God had chosen a man named Moses to confront Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt. And Moses goes nine times to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, nope, I'm not going to let him go. After each of those refusals, God sends a plague on the land. And then the 10th time Moses goes and Pharaoh refuses and God gives Moses specific instructions because this is going to be the last plague. And we read about these instructions in Exodus chapter 12. You can see these on the screen. These are some of the instructions. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with the bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some of it is left until the morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. It's the Lord's Passover. Verse 12 and 13 go on to tell us that by covering their doorposts with the lamb's blood, the Israelites found their homes passed over by the angel of death and their firstborn children delivered from death. Things happened exactly how God said they would. And then the people were instructed to celebrate Passover every year. In verses 14 and 17, we read this. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance 
for the generations to come. So each day, to this, each year, to this day, Jews celebrate Passover. If you're following in your notes, Passover is a reminder of the exodus from slavery in Egypt and the freedom provided by God through the blood of an innocent lamb. It's a reminder of their exodus. Now for us here who are not Jewish, it's hard to understand the importance of celebrating Passover. It's it's hard to understand the deep connection to the past of remembering the slavery your people endured and the liberation that God brought about. There was a German Jewish theologian in the early 1900s, and he tried to capture the importance of Passover by writing this. He said, among the many meals of the spiritual year, the evening meal of the Passover at which the father of the household gathers together all his family. I love this. He says, is the meal of meals. It is the meal of meals of the entire year. It's that important. Passover became one of three major festivals in the Jewish faith where hundreds of thousands of people would descend on Jerusalem. And in Luke chapter two, if you remember this story, we're told that Mary and Joseph took Jesus to Jerusalem. And if you remember the story where Jesus got left behind because his parents thought he was with somebody else in the traveling party, they were in Jerusalem for Passover. Jesus celebrated Passover. Now, That's Exodus 12. That's the origins of the Last Supper. That's Exodus 12, where Passover was established. It is the meal of meals. Fast forward 4,000 years. And this is what we're going to read about in Luke chapter 22. In Luke chapter 22, verse 1, you can follow along in your Bibles or you can see this on the screen. Now, the festival of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching. And the chief priests and teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the 12, and Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Now let's dig into verse one for just a few minutes. There's so much good stuff in here that makes the Bible come alive. The Bible is an amazing book inspired by God, culminating in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And we have to know this. We have to know this going forward. There's no coincidence that Jesus is heading to Jerusalem to die during Passover. There's no coincidence. If you're following in your notes, the last week of Jesus' life takes place during Passover. The one who was called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world was headed to his death during Passover. As the Apostle Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. The timing of all of this taking place during Passover is of utmost importance. And then verses two to six, if you're looking in your Bibles, they they give us an inside look of what's taking place as Jesus is entering the last week of his life. It's almost three years into his ministry. The religious leaders had been crafting a plan to kill Jesus because they thought he was blaspheming God by claiming to be God. They could not believe 
that Jesus was God in the flesh. They couldn't believe it. So they planned an inside job and they made a plan with Judas to betray Jesus. And then verses seven to 13 provide us with the preparations that needed to take place for a Passover meal, right? Find a place, get the unleavened bread, the bitter herbs, bowl and towel for washing feet and a spotless lamb. Don't forget the lamb. And Jesus sends Peter and John to prepare the way. Now remember, all this preparation's taking place. This is the meal of meals. How many of you have ever uh, put together and hosted a birthday party for one of your kids? Yeah? Four of you? Good. Um, <laughs> good. It, like we just hosted a birthday party. It's so much work. You got to clean the house. You got to get things ready. You got to organize the games. You got to get the party favors. You got to pack the bags for the kids to take home. You got to get the cake. You got to get the food. Magnify all of that for Passover. Preparations had to be made. And then in verse 14, after the preparations are made for the most important meal of the year. In verse 14, the description of what the Passover meal that took place in the upper room with Jesus and his disciples is provided. In verses 14 to 16, you can read in your Bibles or on the screen, it says, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. Apostles means disciples, same people. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. So the first words Jesus says to his friends on the night of Passover, I have eagerly desired to eat this with you. Those are his first words. Jesus looked forward to this meal, knowing it would be the last meal he would eat with them. He eagerly anticipated it. How is that possible? How is it possible to eagerly desire to eat a meal knowing that a few hours later you'd be nailed to a cross? It has everything to do with verse 16. Here in Luke, Jesus said, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 26, 29, Jesus says it this way. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. If you're following in your notes, Jesus' eagerness and joy was connected to the future. It was connected to the future. I think Pastor Kent Hughes up in Chicago captures what's going on here better than anything I read this week. He said this, his quote is on the screen. It says his, he's talking about Jesus. His heart swelled at the thought of the next time he would eat with his own people. Jesus' heart traveled beyond sorrow and death to reunion. In Hebrews 12, 2, we're told that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame. At the center of that joy is that his redeemed will sit with him at the table in the kingdom to come. Jesus could eagerly look forward to this Passover meal and the horrific death that awaited him because he was thinking about you. And he was thinking about me. And he was compelled by love and a vision of the future that included dinner around a table in the kingdom to come. 
And Jesus knew the only way that our sins could be forgiven and that we could be made right with God and join him at that table. The only way was to willingly lay down his life. And that motivation allowed him to look forward to this meal. So when we practice communion, we reenact the last supper. We do so with an eye toward the future and it renews our hope. It renews our hope to persevere as people of God in this world and to participate in the mission of God because there's a day coming when we will eat this meal again with Jesus. One of my favorite quotes is given by a Japanese theologian named Kosuke Kuyama. Kuyama imagined Jesus saying this to those who see him upon their death. You've had a difficult journey. You must be tired and dirty. Let me wash your feet. The banquet is ready. Jesus had an eye to the future and this meal has a future promise of reunion. I can't wait for that day. I can't wait. And then after Jesus' introductory remarks, he would have begun the liturgy of a Passover meal that still followed to this day. It most often begins with someone asking this question around the table. It's usually one of the kids. Why is this night different from other nights? And it would be at this point that the host would begin retelling the story of Israel's deliverance out of Egypt and the meaning of the various elements of the meal. And as the host of this last supper, Jesus is the one retelling the story. These meals are hours long, hours long, and they're centered around four different cups of wine that help, that help tell the story of deliverance. So Jesus would have taken the first or the second cup out of four cups, and this is what happens in verse 17 and 18. You can follow in your Bibles or on the screen. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He takes the first or second cup and he says, divide this wine among you. A couple things to notice here. If you're following your notes, giving thanks is woven throughout a Passover meal. It's woven throughout the meal. They're always giving thanks. The Greek word for giving thanks is Eucharist, which is what the Lord's Supper and communion came to be called in some faith traditions. I love one quote I read this week. At the most basic level, the Eucharist celebration is marked by giving thanks to the Father. So when we practice communion, we give thanks. We give thanks. And then notice in verse 18, Jesus again points his followers to the future and the promise they'll eat this meal together again. In the Bible, repetition highlights importance. So Jesus is communicating the importance of this future hope again. And then in verse 19, we're told this. Would you read this with me? A full voice in the first gray box on your notes. It says, and he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The, the bread in a Jewish Passover meal was called the bread of affliction. And it stood as the reminder of the bread God's people ate while in Egypt, while they were slaves. They ate bread and water. And this bread took on a greater significance now because if you're following in your notes, the bread of affliction represented Jesus' body and the affliction he would experience on the cross. 
you see all these connections are being made with Passover. Now, let me pause for just a moment and clarify something we believe here. You may be wondering about it yourself. The phrase, this is my body, has caused much disagreement and debate over what Jesus actually meant. The Catholic faith tradition believes in something called transubstantiation, where they believe the bread and the wine are transformed into Jesus' body and blood each time they take communion. As Protestants, we we just don't believe that. We believe that the bread and the cup are symbols to help us remember Jesus' sacrifice. But I want to point out an area where I think we've gotten communion wrong in the past too. Jesus said to eat this in remembrance of him. You may just want to circle the word remember on your notes. The word remember in the Bible is one of my favorite words. And because Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, many have taken this to infer that practicing the Lord's Supper is just a memorial meal. It's just a memorial meal. It's something we remember in the past. And I think that's a mistake. If you're following in your notes, remember in the Bible, it's so much richer than just looking to the past. Remembering in the Bible is bringing the past to the present. It's bringing the past to the present. And in this way, I believe when we take communion, we are remembering what Jesus accomplished in the past and applying it to our lives today and in the future. So it's not just this memorial meal where we look backwards and we leave it there. We apply it to our lives today. There's a a quote I read this week that summarized how the Israelites, those who practiced the Passover, were to live their lives. It read, they were called to walk backwards into the future. Right? God's people were to remember the past in the present so they could have hope for the future. They were to walk backwards into the future, and that's what's going on each time we take communion. We're touching the past, bringing the present with hope for the future. And then after bread, it's thought that Jesus would have taken the third cup of wine, the third cup out of four, called the cup of redemption in a Passover meal. And this third cup symbolized the blood of the Passover lamb and the covenant God made with his people when he delivered them from Egypt. We read about this covenant in Exodus 24 and how the covenant was sealed with the blood of a spotless lamb. And for Jewish people celebrating the Passover, this cup symbolized the seriousness of sin and the payment for sin was death. So it's at this point in the meal when Jesus, he's retelling the deliverance of his people from Egypt and the importance of the blood of the lamb And he says this in verse 20. Would you read this with me in the second grade box? In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured for you. If you're following your notes, the cup of redemption represented Jesus' blood that would be shed for the forgiveness of sin. He's giving it greater meaning. And by calling this cup the new covenant in my blood, Jesus is contrasting the shedding of his blood with the old covenant's foundation in blood. In the old covenant, back in Exodus, what we read, the Jewish people were required to sacrifice lambs every year to cover over the sins of the people. It didn't take away their sins. It just covered them over until the next year 
until another lamb had to be killed. Now, this can be hard to understand, and I believe the book of Hebrews explains what's going on here. So lean into this. This is the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. It says, the old system, the old covenant, under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time. And the feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, these sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And then Hebrews chapter 10 verses 10 to 12 summarizes everything. It says, for God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest, Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. So when we take communion, we remember we're people of the new covenant, right? Jesus has led us out of slavery to sin. He has led our exodus out of sin. We no longer have to strive to cover our own guilt and shame. We remember there's nothing we've done to earn our forgiveness, right? Communion is not a reward for the godly. It's a gift for the broken, None of us deserve this meal. And that's why when we take communion, it is a reminder, if you're following in your notes, that the new covenant declares it is finished. It's finished. The verses we just read in Hebrew tells us that our high priest, Jesus, sat down because his work was finished and we can rest in his work. Not our work, his work. This is what we remember as we practice communion together. And let me address one more important aspect of the Lord's Supper and bring this home for us. Just tie this all together. The origin of the Last Supper was Passover, right? It was Passover. This was a Jewish celebration, which means all of us would not have been invited to the table. Steve shared this scripture two weeks ago, and I want to share it again. The Apostle Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11, 13, he says, Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now, would you all just say, but now? You have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. The Lord's Supper is one of the greatest examples of hospitality in the history of the world. 
It's where we're reminded that we have been invited to the table only because of God's free and costly love in Christ. We have been brought near to God by the blood of the lamb. We've been invited to the table. God has made room for us. And so when we practice communion, we've already said this, we, we do it with an eye to the future and his promise that we will eat this meal in the presence of Jesus one day. When we practice communion, we give thanks. We remember the body and the blood of Jesus and that we are people of the new covenant and we remember the good news that it is finished. And if you're following in your notes, when we practice communion, we are reminded that Jesus made room for us and we practice hospitality by making room for others because we've been shown God's hospitality. It motivates us to show hospitality to others. Amen. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for leaving us the last supper, a practice that we can participate in every week to remember your life, death and resurrection and hospitality for us that you invited us to the table, even though we don't deserve it. And I pray God in some way that your Holy Spirit would influence us and motivate us today to recognize the great love that you have lavished upon us that we can then turn around and go invite others into this. We can invite them to the table. We can make room for them at the table because you made room for us. God, only you can do that. Only you can change our minds and hearts. But I pray that would happen today. We would be a people on mission in our community to look for others to invite in. God, we are a grateful people. We give thanks for who you are and what you've done for us. It's in Jesus' name that everybody agreed and said, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website or find us on Facebook. Have a great day.